This is The Upside, a talk and music show on a theme that is upbeat and offbeat. I'm your host, Jin Ferrara, and while most of my shows focus on the Vermont community, today we're going south to our sister city of Bilby, Nicaragua. In 1984, Burlington began the sister city relationship with Bilby, um, which is part of Puerto Cabezas, which you may have also heard of. Um, And Bilby is a city of 60,000 people on Nicaragua's North Atlantic coast. This is a relationship that's grown and changed over the past 35 years. And with me today from Bilby is Margarita Antonio, a community radio and television producer and advocate who has worked for decades to build independent community-focused media resources in Bilby and to connect here with folks in Vermont. And it is just a thrill to have you here, Margarita. Hello. Hello. You can go right up to the microphone. Hello. We are all good, yes. Um, Hi, welcome. Well, you know, I usually sit on that side of the table. Right. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's not very easy to be on this side. How does so, it feel? <laughs> well, I'll cry. Oh, you know, you can just flip the script on me and start asking me questions if you're more comfortable. <laughs> it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thank you so much. And also with, with Margarita is Dan Higgins, who has been a community media uh, stalwart leader here for decades. Hi, Dan. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting us. So I'm really interested because I'm fairly new to town. I bet a lot of other folks um, are interested, too, in sort of this whole uh, Sister City project. How did you get involved in this? When did you get involved? I think this guy sitting next to me was before I get involved when this was ongoing already. And on some part of the 80s, I learned about this sister city and I met um, Doreen and Marvin Fishman who were come, who would be coming constantly to the Caribbean coast. And I also learned about this huge nursery project and this guy from Vermont, Bob Scott, um, living in Puerto Cabezas and running this nursery as technical advisor, working with the municipality. And this was a, was, was a huge thing at that time because it coincidentally, we were struggling for autonomy. Um, autonomy, this, uh, the, the particular law for people living in the Caribbean coast, which allow us to self-determination, land, land rights, language, culture rights, and um, right to self-organization was just um, evolving at that time. So Sister City, specifically with its place name, Burlington, Vermont, I, yeah, it what, was what something you... kind of new to all of us. And then we, we were talking about 34, 35 years ago. So it was something we all wanted to learn about. But at the same time, we had authorities involved. The mayor was very involved. It was a kind of governor issue. Mm-hmm. So it was not the way we look at it now, people to people relationship. That is how it um, turned out to be so far. But I, I get involved. First, I learn about it. But then in the early 90s, when we start working on video and training people in producing video with Dan Higgins is when I really get involved in this sister city issue. And I get caught by what we start doing. And here I am. 
Did you have an impression of what Vermont was when you heard about it in Burlington? Well, we we have we have an image of places in the north, places in the U.S. It seems far away. It's alien. It's another way of living. People dream about coming to the U.S. So um, usually at that time in the context when this relation begin, we we also had this war. And uh, um, it was a view of people from the north supporting and uh, um, being in solidarity with us, different to the attitude of the United States government that at that time was sponsoring the war against our revolution. So it was a way of building bridges between people rather than government attitude against people. That's great. Yeah. So this was during the the Sandinista government in the eighties. In the eighties, and the U.S. was funding and supporting folks opposing the government. Um, hi, Dan. Hop on in here. <laughs> sure. So yeah, nineteen eighty four, there was a lot of uh, opposition in Burlington as around the country to the Reagan. Uh, policy, administration policy of trying to overthrow the revolutionary government in Nicaragua. And people were, were very opposed to that. And the citizens of Burlington appealed to the city council, as I recall, to, for a sister city in Nicaragua. And the city, and the city council said yes, they agreed. Uh, somehow uh, arrangements were made, and Burlington became a sister city with Puerto Cabezas on the Caribbean side of Nicaragua. What was interesting was that as little as people knew about Nicaragua, Burlington knew almost nothing about the Caribbean side of Nicaragua, which has, is, is a, has had a very different history. It's, a, it's different cultures. There are many indigenous groups there. There, there are, are uh, Creole, African-descendant people, and it's a very different kind of place than the Spanish-speaking side on the Pacific side of Nicaragua. So it's been a really interesting learning curve over the last 35 years or so. And, and one of the things that, that we've been involved in that I think Margarita can talk about and I can talk about is how um, we as a sister city discovering that we really didn't know a lot about the place had, have int- had introduced um, video. That was a project that, t- that took place around 2000 that we could talk about. Uh, to allow people to generate stories uh, of what they thought was important about their community rather than uh, just getting it from outside. That's great. So yeah, I'd love to hear more about the video project. That's Because we are talking about video where we had no open TV. And the Caribbean coast had no access to open TV channels. You don't receive no signal. And just in the early 90s, TV was available by cable. So if you have cable service, then you could access TV. But again, you don't receive national TV. You receive um, service from Mexico, from the U.S., from elsewhere. And in this context, we um, identify this opportunity to get a group of young people, uh, men and women, learning to do how to use camera. And this coincided at the same time, I understood with the, the local cable company a director coming to Vermont also to learn how you did um, 
this community access media. Mm. So we started learning how to use camera, learning that everything is valuable and that people love seeing it themselves, seeing their own community, seeing what is happening around. So this um, training that led to a, an hour program at the local channel um, slowly evolved to becoming an independent channel by itself run by uh, uh, the new university we had there, Uriakang, and uh, connected to a communication program we started to build within this university. And the sister city, by training people, by providing equipment, by providing assistance, was in the very heart of how we started working TV, um, video edition, production in Bilwi, and that is still ongoing today. And, and I'll just say that the model that we went down there with, this was in the year 2000, uh, cable had come in and the cable company, it actually had a channel, it was showing old movies, VHS movies every night. In fact, I think they showed that movie Ghost every night. <laughs> <laughs> it is still there. It's still oh, no. there. <laughs> and, and so we, we had the public access model. We were able to buy five little, little teeny cameras. Uh, channel 17 helped us with some old VHS editing equipment that they weren't using anymore. So that it, from the start, public access in Burlington was a partner with what got started in Bilwe. And I, I went down, Jane Kramer, Howard Jensky, Nat Ayer came down, and we did a three-month-long workshop, and we emphasized that it was not uh, journalism, it was not about uh, telling stories about car accidents, it was trying to use video to extract as much as people thought was important about living on that particular coast. And marvelous, hours and hours of, of just uh, uh, shots, just shot stories mm -hmm. of what was happening. And, and as Margarita said, it was so powerful for people to see people they knew suddenly popping up on the television screen. Uh, that's one of the most amazing things about local television. Uh, and this was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, wow. um, the people that started the first training, most of them are still involved in um, local TV. Now we are talking about three local channels. Uh, one is still led by the university, and there are other two that are um, one by a local NGO, and another one is kind of private by um, practitioners that want to have their own space and have their own ideas of what they want to do. And three of them are, um, are kind of succeeding in keeping an audience for their own. Uh, university channel address university issues more mostly, not as the beginning, because that was the origin of the three channel, mm -hmm. university-led um, channel. And slowly it focused on the university issues, what happened in university communities. The private channel become um, something more openly. And the most recent to appear was this Canal 22 that was a kind of merge between um, a local NGO and the government. And now it's only based on the local NGO, but it's, uh, it addressed a lot of indigenous issues, not only in Puerto Cabezas, in Nicaragua, also around the world. and. All of them are um, run by young people. 
this is amazing. They are young, um, committed, and uh, changing, learning, and doing things in an interesting way in some in sometimes, but sometimes trying to imitate what they see in mainstream media yeah. and slowly moving. So it's something in movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's really great. I, you're you're answering all the questions I was going to ask. I was really curious about the content. No, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and yeah, like I was I was interested in you. What was the the hook for people around community media? Um, you mentioned see, seeing themselves. Was there a particular type of program that um, yeah you saw as like really effective at, at like engaging people? Well, one of the thing. And uh, it's a pity that it's not going on anymore. Before, we had a regular TV channel, two of the members of this early um, training train group, Julio and uh, Jimmy, developed a daily show that was a kind of comedy. They would uh, mock situation, um, bring up um, funny situations, and um, criticize stuff. And they were very popular, but then they just split apart, and this is not going on anymore. But what what I my impression is, and what I learned so long, is that something that was very powerful at the way we do things is that we learned that we all could be um, on screen and that you don't know you don't need a particular feature a specific appearance to be on screen and this um, as previously happened in radio that we switched from having the um, easy speaking, the um, melodious voice, and the good pronunciation to getting people to come in and talk their own stories, to give their own message. In TV, it was the same way, getting people um, ready to open door and say that this is the story. And when, when we start doing interviews, we sometimes feel people like uh, reluctant to, no, not camera, we don't want to be on TV. Mm. But uh, some people learned that they could appear and talk directly and nobody was filtering what they were saying. So we have more people willing to come on air and talk and talk and give their story, give their argument, explain things. And that's the way it's happening until today. Nobody would say, I don't want to be in camera. No, there are abuses because sometimes we see that um, situation in where you, um, you have a crime, you have people abused, um, reporters are bringing up people's face and uh, mm. images that are not adequate. Mm-hmm. The, this become a violation and it's an exploitation of the morbid side of things. So this is very criticized and I think um, the them that like to do it this way are learning that people is not too happy with it because you usually get the argument that, but people want to see it. But which people? You know? Right. You're always going to have someone that is interested in this context, but the majority is not happy with it. So um, there is this tension um, on what you think people really want and what should be done in a respectful way, mm-hmm. in a way that you don't harass people, you don't bring up images that um, abuse families, abuse people that are already abused. Right. And um, I think this we are learning. But in, in, in general, I would say that people is so happy to come 
on TV and talk their story. And they would come to the channel and said, you come to my neighborhood. We have a situation. We want you to air this. Uh, or they would come and talk on the TV and say this and this and this is happening. So um, people learned that TV can be powerful, that when they said something on air, somebody's going to react, somebody's going to try to respond. And um, one of our colleagues is very good doing this, and people respect this approach he have. And um, it's something that is part of our reality. And it's hard to think that just 20 years ago you had nothing of this. Mm. So mm. um, th- that's the way TV is being used. Um, we do a lot of news. Beside these shows, we do a lot of repeating um, Hollywood movies, documentaries from elsewhere. Something we did in the beginning um, that was good, people like old country music, so they would just play the old country but cover it with it local images, the river flowing, the wood, the community moving around, but they stopped doing this. I think this is due to lack of equipment and time and edition time because all these media survive and what they get from advertisement, they don't have sponsorship from the government Mm. and people pay very little for advertisement. So situation for TV is better than for radio but yet it is difficult for them. Yeah. Let me ask you the language issue. You, you do an, uh, say there's a news program. Yes. Is it, is it given both in Spanish, Mosquito, and English? Or how do you decide how you're going to? They do it in what, it would be our lingua franca, Spanish. And I think this is the best way because it reached to most people, generally. But if someone come on with um, uh, an, a situation and explain it in Miskito, they don't um, cut this out. It goes on Miskito, and at the end, the journalist would give a summary of what the person was saying. Now, one of the practitioners, Jerry, he does, he, he gives his news, and he always brings a summary of it in Miskito. Not so much in Creole, in Miskito. So he's always um, switching, switching to Miskito. Right. He gives less time to Miskito, but he's always keeping it there. So I think this is something he does, and it's very good. Excellent. Because when, when we start doing news on radio, we do it um, in Spanish and Miskito simultaneously. Um, the guy would go with a paragraph in Spanish, and uh, I used to do that. I would jump in in Miskito, and this was so for a long time. I think there is still a news program that do it this way. So in TV, Jerry used to do it in Miskito and Spanish, and he remained with this, and this gave him a lot, lot of acceptance for people that are not pretty clever in Spanish and don't feel comfortable talking in Spanish. The majority of people in Billy speak Miskito first? Um, Miskito is still the main native language spoke by a majority. Mm-hmm. But even Miskito, most of them trying to have a Spanish and Creole people that are the minority in the community um, have a Spanish as common language for interacting with the rest. And the mestizo people that now are increasingly growing because the migration to our region, um, they only do Spanish. Mm. Yes. 
That's a lot of considerations to have in communication. Yes. If you want to be respectful, if you want, if you have a, a, a knowledge of the value of your own culture, your own language, it's possible. And well, there is a discussion. People say that we are lost in the language when talking about mosquito. I would say no, because first. When I was growing up, at school you were not allowed to talk in mosquito. It was forbidden. So I learned Spanish when coming to school uh, in first grade. And now we have this bilingual education program for almost 30 years. We don't have enough resource to develop it, but it's official, it's acknowledged, and you learn to read and write in Miskito. I did not learn to read and write in Miskito. I talk Miskito very good, it's my first language. But there is a difference when you learn to read and write in Spanish, not in your own language. And children in my in, in Miskito villages are, are learning to read and write in Miskito. They know Miskito grammar. And this oh. is great. And this is possible because we gain acknowledgement to our right to develop our own language. Yet, Parents would argue that the moment you left Puerto Cabezas, the moment you left Bilui, mosquito is not helpful in Managua. Mm. Out of Bilui, you don't use it. I would say, coming to that, in uh, 1979, 1980s, if I get on a bus in Managua and I talk in mosquito to another peer, everybody would look around. Somebody's talking weird, no? But nobody give pay mind to this anymore. The, the, the coast people, they know that people from the coast talk different. In the 70s, in Managua, the headquarter, you had one Moravian church that gives service. The Moravian is mostly located on the Caribbean coast. This is another history. Um, yeah. We had different religious colonization in the Pacific. You had the Catholic Church. In the, on the Caribbean coast, you had the Protestant Church coming from Europe and from then from the U.S. So Moravians had one location in Managua. Today, we have five locations. Mm. And two of these locations have regular service only in Miskito. So... At one hand, we're receiving people from the Caribbean and from the Pacific in the Caribbean, but Managua is also receiving people from the Caribbean coast. Okay, we don't detain power, but then there is the relation in the grassroots, no? people to people, and it's happening. So I think more people know about the Caribbean coast, and they know about our language, they know about our diversity, um, yet, coming to the issue of um, endangering language, linguists that study the mosquito language, they say that even when mosquito appear to be powerful, it's still in danger if you don't publish, mm. if you don't have um, further use of mosquito beyond primary school. So we still have to struggle on this. We still have to work on it and know that it's possible to develop the language, mm -hmm. but it's there, we are using it, and it's not forbidden. <laughs> yes. That's an improvement. Yes. <laughs> it is the same with the other language. I won't yeah. say um, the Twaka language, for example, it's pretty in, the, in, in, in danger. 
the Ulwa languages. So, so we need, but it's a, um, I, I can't talk about all of the languages. Yeah. So, so this makes me think that maybe it would be really great to record a station ID for our radio station in Mosquito. <laughs> well, would you be willing? It would be great. I have a script for you right here, and this is a perfect time to stay a station ID as it is. Mm. So, I have to explain something. You know that as our language is a uh, uh, a language that um, did not develop technology and things, new concepts have no translation. Oh, that's interesting. So, so yeah. you have you have very um, good amount of words to describe feelings, taste, colors, but abstract concepts, new technologies, you don't have mm. them in our language. So for an airplane, we had no airplane. My elders had none. You said plane because you learn it from the from the English. Oh, but you would yeah. um, you have it as a neologism, no? You you pronounce it in the mosquito way, plane. We had no bread. We had no flour. We used cassava. Mm -hmm. So we say bread, and that would go for bread. We had no dresses. So. Women dress would be in prac, that come from frock. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Pants would be traus. I think it come from trouser. Yeah. So there is a lot of yeah. things. So things that are before colony, colony are very well identified. Colonial objects have names that come derived from either English and it was, French. you know, for people that aren't aware, it was the English that had more of an impact colonizing English, uh, the coast the than, Dutch. than the Spanish. But mm. you could you could just try this for a <laughs> Put some emotions in. We'll, we'll, we'll accept <clears throat> your, some colors. It's going to be wonderful, some, I'm add sure. Add some color and some emotion. Okay. Nahana, media factory wina mananida balisa, Burlington, waupa satani wina. Mananiwalisma, 99.3 FM, Burlington, within Pasarasa, Mananiwalsa. I think this online address is no way, of, it had no <laughs> sense of tra um, translating. So if I would put this in Miskito without the details you have, mm -hmm. I would say, Mananiwalisma, Burlington, Vermont, Waupasataniwina, Burlington Radio Kapasarasa Mananiwal, Piubanira. I love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> this is a perfect moment to take an actual music break. So, <laughs> folks, you are listening to, just as Margarita said, 99.3 FM, WBTV LP in Burlington, streaming online at 993wbtv.org. This is The Upside. I'm Jen Ferrara, and I am here with. Margarita Antonio and Dan Higgins were talking about community media here and in Billy, Nicaragua. Please stick around. We will be right back after this music break. And we're back. Um, we talked a lot about the sort of big picture of community media in Bilby, which was really great. I'm, I'm interested in hearing also about 
your own experience of media making and um, what you what you like to do, what you've uh, found really compelling in it. If you have any particular types of work you really enjoy creating yourself, or what you like about like what what pieces do you like to do? Well. In, in media, I did almost everything, no? Um, you start by only announcing, then you do journalism, you do interview, you um, have shows, you do editing, and in TV as well, organized from the beginning. In press, I, I find myself learning to do photos, okay. select photos, to lay out, to reduce to an amount and decide what going to fit in 12 pages or 16 pages. And um, there is always this power you hold over the story. And uh, I feel that journalism is so great because you benefit yourself from learning from so much different people around the world. You're always learning. And it's not true that you give all what you learn. Okay, this that you suck from someone, it won't go in all the story that you write. But what remain from other stories will strengthen a new story. So is this knowledge of people just in the deep need to tell their story and you hold the grip in bringing this to an audience in a creative way that people could really learn from the story of this person, from what happened to this person, how this person struggled, how this collective um, was able to overcome situation. So what I like more, more, more of everything is just talking to people and learning from them and building this trust with your interviewee that feel that he could he or she could really tell their story to you and sometimes even ask to I'm gonna tell you this but please don't talk about this mm-hmm. and maybe one of the experience that always come back to my mind was that um, uh, I am a mosquito woman no? and uh, we have other nations the Mayangna people and historically, there have been tensions tensions among Mayangnas and Miskito. So one time I was interviewing this um, Mayangna leader, and uh, I know him from before we even worked together. But at this time, I was interviewing him as a leader of his community to get information for the paper I was editing. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of the interview, um, he started giving me this image saying that mosquitoes are like the story of the rabbit and the tiger with the Mayangnas. I didn't know about the story. So he said, you know, um, the rabbit is drinking water downstream and the tiger is in the upper stream. And the tiger would say to the rabbit, why are you messing my water? Mosquitoes behave that way to Mayangnas. And I was shocked by the um, story, the way he illustrated. And I'm, I'm taking note. 
I am recording at the same time. I even have a photo of this <laughs> interview. <laughs> and it was not because I wanted to register it. Someone did a photo. And he stopped and he said to me, listen, but are you going to write the story? I said, yes, of course, why not? And because you're a mosquito and I am Mayangna. So uh, I put a mark and I keep on and when I finish, I said, hey, were you serious about asking me if I am going to? Yes, I'm serious because mosquito people many times don't attend our stories the way we say it. It went by and uh, I published the story and I met him and he said, so any comments about the story? Ah, it was good. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> but you, um, something that was uh, out of question for me because I was doing my work was a whole issue to him. Yeah. And I was just a journalist. And he was an authority, a leader in his community, and somebody that interact with authorities, with government. And yet he felt that I could m manipulate his declaration. So this was something. This is something that always comes to my mind of the way people relay and having an um, accurate account of what they, the story they want to give. And the responsibility we have over our, our shoulder to really channel these concerns people have either on radio, on TV, on the press, or when giving a report, because if you are just doing research, you have to build a report and report must be accurate. So I love so much learning from people and trying to be accountable of what I learn. Oh, I love that. That is just a beautiful endorsement of community media at its absolute best and journalism at its best. It's not easy. No. In situation like the one my country is facing right now, journalism is a threat to the life of practitioners. Mm. So, um, thank you. <laughs> uh, do you want to say any more about that? or? Well, I would say something else. Um, women. My experience as uh, as uh, a young, very young woman coming on to a very new radio station where all were, uh, uh, we were a team of six people, you know, only six in the beginning, and we all work eight, nine, ten hours in getting news, getting shows, in uh, getting having the radio on air all the time, and my I was the only female, the youngest one, and my. Colleagues were very protective of me at one point, you know, like a small sister. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, I learned all the rudeness, all the manners they had. And this was early 80s, the end of 79 and early 80s. So when the second part of the 80s, people start talking about gender approach, about women role about the the way you do narrative about women i just feel like um well that's not for me i am women i am not outcast i have a role i am and uh, i i i even remember that in 1992 in the first um, not the first in one of the assembly of world 
and community radio, um, there was this discussion about creating a, a women um, branch and the role of women in media. And they asked me, so um, are you feminist? I said, well, um, if feminist is about um, expelling the male and only women, well, that's not my understanding. I said that in an interview, and I quickly learned that, yes, I am feminist. I don't go with this type of feminism, feminism, but I do stand for women's rights, for women's voice, and that it was not enough being a female, that he had to learn that there was a different approach, a different treatment, a different way of addressing women issues and that we could do the difference by really teaching and having voice for ourselves and for other women and teaching the male and partnering with males that are um, respectful for us and supportive to us. So this has been a major learning and I think I try to focus more on working on indigenous issues, indigenous women issues, and women as a whole um, part of society that is mostly outcast from media, from content, from development, from access to resource, from having a voice. Yeah. Wow. So we're getting close to the end of our time here together, which is terrible to me, because I feel like we're just getting started. Um, is there... Is there, so what would be your sort of wish list for the sister city relationship going forward in terms of community media? Like, what would you want to see happen? Have you thought about that? Where you want this to go? Yes. I would like to come on an air with you even once a month. Maybe not a show like this, maybe five minutes with the, something happening in Bilwi, and maybe not Margarita, but maybe Dixie, maybe Glennis, maybe Deborah. Someone jumping in with you to say, hey, this is a report from Puerto Cabezas. So I would really love this to happen. And at the other hand, at the other end, have you jumping in sometimes, maybe not you, maybe um, Glenn, maybe who, who's ever from here saying, hey, people in Puerto Cabezas, this is from Vermont thinking about you. We are doing this, or it's cold today, it's snow, and uh, mm. you know, whatever, but just have a reminder, have the word pronounced, there is Puerto Cabezas, and that in Puerto Cabezas we could say, there is Burlington, Vermont. I would really like this to happen from the media side. Yeah. I hope students can have some type of bridge between them, a group of students from here, and maybe a group of students in Puerto Cabezas. Maybe artists, um, I didn't talk about this, but um, I think we are working with this group of indigenous women doing theater. This is the very first indigenous um, women doing theater in the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua. And we would really like to say, hey, this month we have this show, we visit this community, we learn this, and learn from artists here in in Burlington. We have this yearly recital of poetry that we have been doing under the leadership of the Delegate of Culture in our region, Deborah Bush, and 
we get poets together and we have this show that in the last two years it's been done in an open space and it's very powerful. So things like this, we really like to send a picture and a short story of it. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I love all this. Sister, Sister City Media we're talking about here, right? Yes. Oh, that's great. So right now, is there a way that we can see some of your work? Is there um, a website we can go to or? Um, Mujeres Creativas Laptayula, that's the collective I am with. Laptayula means Guardian of the Sun, uh, Creative Women. Have um, We do post on Facebook. We have a Facebook account. Radio Caribe also have, I think, the more strong um, growing page in on, on Facebook. And at this moment, we are working to launch a, a blog for Radio Caribe with photos and stories of Puerto Cabezas. So this will be available pretty soon. Um, Mujeres Creativas have a blog with uh, um, documents and photos of things we've done, but we haven't up- we have not updated it for the last two years. Anyhow, it is there. It's there. Uh, it's there, and it have a lot of photos. It have things in Miskito. We have uh, a space in YouTube where we have we had this project recovering storytelling around communities. So you have children and women and men talking about traditional storytelling, and people get around under the tree and the veranda, and we film this, and this is online also oh wonderful so, so mm-hmm. i'll get those links from you um, i'll share all these on the upside vt facebook page so that you can check them out um any any last thoughts well i'm so happy to see you doing this um coming to vermont is uh, just refreshing the commitment to really go on maintaining the bridge, repairing the bridge, don't let it go down, and having this people-to-people link alive. I like to think that this is going to continue and that we could bring young people into this effort and have, uh, we don't need a large amount. It's not about quantity, it's about quality. So if three people, four people is willing to keep in touch in Pilwi, we are more than four on the other end trying to be in touch always. I love it. That's wonderful. Well, it's been such a pleasure to meet you, Margarita. Thank you so much for coming in this morning. I know this is your last day here, and I'm so glad you spent some time with us. Thank you for inviting us. And thank you, Dan, for being here and, and connecting the dots for us. You've seen well, this whole it's, big it's, picture. It's, it's been a real pleasure. And one of the, I think the sister city relationship is one of the richest but little known uh, resources that people in Burlington have because you have this ready made community on, in a very interesting part of the world with a lot of history and a lot of people at both ends that, uh, that can fill in some of the dots. Sister City is a good thing. I love it. Thank you so much for both being here. Uh, thank you all for listening. The Upside is uh, produced by me, Jen Ferrara, and Spindle and Widget LLC and recorded here live at the Media Factory in the south end of Burlington, Vermont at 99.3 FM, WBTVLP Burlington, Found online at 993wbtv.org. 
For more information, check out my uh, Facebook page, The Upside VT. Past shows can be heard on mixcloud.com slash The Upside VT. Podcasts of interviews will be found at The Upside VT on iTunes. This one will be going up in a couple of weeks. Um, you can also find me on Instagram now at The Upside VT. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. 